Hi, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark Gagne. I'm here with Trevor Clifford. How are you feeling today, Trevor? It's been a while. Uh, it's, it has been a while. I feel like I'm asking for trouble. How are you feeling? I feel like I've been away from this for too long, and I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've been pretty busy lately. I think uh, I updated our listeners with one mini-sode, but that's about it. How's it yeah. going? Well, I haven't listened to that one yet, so I want to find out about what? how that. <laughs> I want to find out how that's gone. Uh, you, you I'll listen to it later. To, you haven't listened to the mini-sode? Not yet. Not yet. Ugh! Can't even. No respect. <laughs> so don't spoil it. Uh, but yeah, I think you gave a little. I'm assuming you gave a little bit of life update for me. Um, yes. So I yeah, gave I got the, a uh, one reason why you're out. Yeah, I got a uh, newborn daughter. The house now, and uh, things are really fun it's been really tiring but really fun um and yeah i'll get more into that later because that kind of shaped my uh choices today mm, interesting yeah literature and babies in a couple ways in a couple ways but right. yeah it's been cool um i don't know <laughs> now i had my like uh parental or paternity leave uh -huh. for a couple weeks and that was like my first vacation all year. And then, uh, yeah, now I'm back to working remotely. Uh, I don't know. It's just been cool. Cool. How, well, how's things fun, for you? Fun is a good word to describe the birth of a child. Yes. Yeah. At least yeah, you didn't say stress or anything. Yeah, no, she's awesome. Awesome. Very funny. <laughs> funny. Yeah, very expressive. She's got, she's working on her stand-up routine. She's got a solid five minutes. Yeah, I think she's going to be a, some sort of comedian or something. All right. At least well, in school. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I ended up, since I ended up recording an episode, usually the rules of the podcast, I ended up recording an episode, which was episode 57. And usually the rules of the podcast are when it's an odd number, Mark goes first. And when it's an even number, I go first. But now that I've thrown a wrench into the mix and I took a whole episode just for myself, it should probably be Mark going first this time. So we've officially switched. I guess every time someone does a mini-sode, that's what flips the switch on okay. odds, odds or evens. It's like the Uno reverse card or something. Yes, yes yeah. the Uno reverse card, which will probably be the name of the next mini-sode. That's now good. That you, now that you said it. <laughs> Wait, what was, what was it called? What was the one you just recorded called? Is the mini-sode? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, it does kind of give away the subject Okay, matter. okay. I'll take, I'll, I'll listen to it tonight. I promise. I didn't give it any clever name. I called it, uh, I called it a mini-sode and the name of the author I covered. <laughs> okay. So it's definitely a, a dead giveaway. Okay. That's cool. So I'll know as soon as I get to it. As soon as you get to it, I feel like, uh, shouldn't I, I should have a sound sample of, um, cats in the cradle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, come on. <laughs> we're not we're not there yet i guess ultimate excuse ultimate yeah. excuse <laughs> the, the excuse birth of a child yeah yeah so you want to use it as an excuse yet in any interesting curb your enthusiasm way it's like oh no I, just, I have a kid that's it uh yeah i i guess my one <laughs> it's funny my one my one um instance of that is actually not recording an episode for the past 
<laughs> that's four weeks. That's pretty much the only time I pulled the baby card. Exactly. Uh, other than that, we're on quarantine. We're just hanging out. Of course. Yeah. Uh, how was the uh, quarantine with the whole baby situation? Were they like super freaks about it at the? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the hospital you can only have one person at a time in the mm -hmm. in the in the room, so had to kind of uh, tap in, basically <laughs> tag team kind of thing. Uh, so that was that. And yeah, you wear a mask and, um, has there been any, uh, late night opportunities for catching up on reading or you're just too exhausted? Sort of. Well, I'll, I'll cover that for sure. That's, uh, <laughs> I have a little narrative. Cool. <laughs> so what do you think? Maybe I jump right into it. Jump right into it. Episode 58. Mark's going first. Yeah. World's, world is upside down. All right. Um, so yeah, to, I guess to summarize, I've been reading a lot, you know, late, mm -hmm. lately, past couple of weeks, but not, you know, not for myself. Uh, and, you know, we have set up like a rule at the house here, like, you know, I guess it's, it's very good for, for babies and children to have books read to them before they can read, you know, mm -hmm. they say a couple, couple books a day is, is really good. And five, five books a day is what we've been, you know, that's been our benchmark here. And of course they take like, some of them are like, you know, the Elmo books take like 30 seconds to read, but Dude, five books a day. I'm surprised you read her Lord of the Rings all in one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, working up to that, but like with the way I see it with that, like for, for, you know, it being beneficial, the way I see it, like the context really doesn't matter. So I really could be reading, mm -hmm. like I could be reading the dictionary. I could be reading Elmo. I could be reading Dante's Inferno, but like, it's, I think it's more about socializing them with your speech, you know, and just, um, another thing is like speaking in the children's book cadence, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. Just a, a question though. Like what books do you remember? Cause we, we, we've talked about like, uh, we've talked about books as far as like, you know, in maybe middle school age or something, our introduction to reading how about the books that were read to you or you know earlier than that like what's uh, what sticks out yeah there actually is a few i think this is an area that's sort of rich with that like context of almost like thing there's definitely books that were read to me when i was a child that i only have vague memories of but i actually there's one in particular that i haven't been able to find and i remember it was like a young kid with a big orange cat and I think I remember he was like a little like black kid in the in the book. And I remember the illustrations, but it was just basically this little kid and his big orange cat. And obviously with children's books, you know, they were getting into, you know, mischievous, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But if anybody out there knows what book I'm talking about, I have had flashes of this thing in my <laughs> memory for the past 30 years. And I still don't know what book I've asked my mom. I like, you know, just like kind of casually researched it and I've never been able to find it. So that would be something that stuck in my mind is like, oh, I definitely remember that unless I have some sort of found memory, but huh. the, the illustrations are much too specific for them to have been a found memory. <laughs> like I, didn't, in, I didn't imagine these illustrations that I can see in my mind's eye. Whoa. Okay. Well, I know, I know of one orange cat, but we don't have to talk about him again. Uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the one who yeah. will not be named. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I'll go through some of the books that I've, uh, 
I've read here, some of the ones I've read recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I started sort of with like Shell Silverstein because those were around the house, mm-hmm. you know, wh- where the sidewalk ends. Right. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. Which is, it's kind of mature and it's really odd at times. Uh, it's just a bunch of little poems and stories, but some of them are dark, some of them are just weird. But, you know, like I said, does it really matter? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't like, as far as I'm concerned, like it's just about the cadence and the kind of just filling the the time <laughs> with your voice. But th- it was enjoyable for me to read again. I used to, you know, read it a lot uh, when I was younger. And so, okay, I wanted to read one poem in it, one short little story, because it's weirdly prescient in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say like you squinted and looked at it, or you just looked at some of the keywords and it's kind of weirdly specific to our uh, situation right now in the U S okay. so let me, um, and this is from, I don't even remember. Uh, let me find out when this book is from 1974. So this uh, poem, short little poem is called, Oh, have you heard? Okay. Oh, have you heard it's time for vaccinations? I think someone put salt into your tea. They're giving us 11 month vacations and Florida has sunk into the sea. Hmm. Oh, have you heard the president has measles? The principal has just burned down the school. Your hair is full of ants and purple weasels. April fool. Interesting. And that's it. And that's it. But Slightly isn't that weird? Prophetic. It is weird. I actually, this is like a little bit off topic, but it does remind me. Did I tell you that I wrote a, a little comedy article for a friend's zine? Recently? Or? Uh, yeah, I had some friends who were doing a zine that was related like at the very beginning of the pandemic, like just about being quarantined and stuff like that. And yeah. I actually wrote an essay, a fictional essay about how uh, the song Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles is actually about COVID-19. And it's, you know, there's like a tradition of sort of seeing things within Beatles songs. Yeah. So there's a little bit about that too, but that's what that reminds me of. I mean, like if you're looking for it, it can be anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Just the key, just the keywords though. Vaccinations, (laughs) vacations, Florida and the president. (laughs) Like it's kind of weird, Yep. but um, yeah, that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, if only but, the poem was called Second Wave, then we'd really have something on our hands. Yeah, yeah. But so that one's good. Uh, I like those books, uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends, Light in the Attic. Uh, I read another one by him, uh, The Giving Tree. Remember that mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the standard. That's the big one. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a cold kind of story, though. <laughs> uh, you remember it. It's like, it's kind of either it's about an, an abusive relationship or like, a metaphor for parenthood or mm-hmm. could be a metaphor for a lot of different things, you know, giving and never taking and just kind of being okay with it. <laughs> Good to project into your little baby's brain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I read, I read one called the horse who had his name in the paper, which I don't need to tell you any more about it. That's what it was. That was it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh another one you might remember is are you my mother no you don't know that one no uh it's the one that looks it looks like a dr seuss book and then you look at the cover and it's written by 
uh, some guy called P.D. Eastman. Weird. It, yeah, but it, it, I think a lot of people might think that it's a Dr. Seuss book. But uh, <laughs> he, he, yeah. was trying to, he was trying to rip off Dr. Seuss. I think it might have just been like the same publisher or something. But mm-hmm. uh, and he's out of he was uh, out of Amherst, Massachusetts, which is pretty cool. It's kind of local to me. Uh, and then I read um, I read an actual Dr. Seuss, uh, Fox and Socks, which is just mm-hmm. nonsense rhymes pretty much. But it's a fun one. Oh, I think I remember. Are you my mother? I just googled the the cover. Yeah, it's a little bird who's on the dog. falls from the nest, mm-hmm. and just like is asking other animals and stuff. That one's decent, <laughs> <laughs> and a, a bunch of other ones that I can't remember because they're not remarkable. I think there's we had one randomly that was uh, by um, I think it's from Ho- Hoda. You know, from like Good Morning America. She wrote she, a children's book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She published a children's book. It's very like kind of low effort, but <laughs> uh, it, it was a it was a quick good good read, I guess. Just had about a bunch of animals. How'd you uh, acquire all these different children's books? I, I don't know. It's my understanding that when They're... children arrive, the children's books kind of start just out of the middle of nowhere. They seem to materialize. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get a, a list of my own or a collection of my own for her. Um, Is the Hoda I, one called I've Loved You Since Forever? Yes, yes, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think my I think my favorite, which I probably have mentioned before, and it's a little bit past like baby book is uh, The Phantom Tollbooth. Of course, So that's one I'll look forward to reading. I'll yep. get to the the Hobbit eventually in years to come, and yeah. Well, this is this is take her from there. This is a long mental game you're playing. You kind of have to play the long con on that one because I remember like when my niece was born, I was like, yeah, I I actually think I bought her Phantom Tollbooth for maybe like her first birthday or something, and then it's like it's destined to just be a book that has to sit on the shelf for like multiple years. You know, yeah. just get like acclimated because and I would think the same thing. It's like, yeah, I can't wait to tell her about, you know, like Harry Potter. And then it's like, but wait, that I have to wait like 11 years, which is <laughs> <laughs> longer than you think. Yeah, you're psyched, you're psyched for this introduction to the world of literature. And then, and then it has to like wait forever. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm, uh, I'm planting the seeds now, pretty much. But anyways, so that that's that was my journey in uh, children's books so far, and I'll probably have a little bit. I'll probably have an update later on. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's a whole world there of something that you can only really get into when you're a parent. My sister, um, as I mentioned, I have a niece and nephew, and my sister gets in like even writes her own children's books now, um, just like as a hobby. She writes a few. If you want one, she'll be happy. Yeah, I'll take one. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, it's like a world that you can get into. And there's definitely like, you're gonna find ones where it's like, this is a good one. This is a bad one. Because there's, <laughs> there's ones that kind of get published as like throwaway, like theme attachments to like cartoons and stuff. And usually those ones are the bad ones. And it's like, but the kids 
want them you know like oh read me the one like and it's from their favorite cartoon it's like no like that one's like not actually good yeah um so there's a few gems out there and there's a few stinkers yeah i'll uh i'll i'll get to a bunch of those probably yeah i'll have my my children's book update but okay so as far as adult level books <laughs> i i read some of one book in the last month okay so some some be the first the, the first partial entry in sbr history but i'm sure we can power through yeah i'll get back on track later but this is the best i could do for you now uh so i'll start with a question again so where where would you say the idea of dinosaurs in fiction started or more specifically, dinosaurs and humans interacting in in fictional like crossover novels. Yeah, yeah, novels. I mean, that's hard to say. I mean, yeah, like the history of that is coming out of nowhere. Obviously, the one that you would think of is isn't Jurassic Park. A, yep, a, yep. A novel. Um, is that's, that uh, is that like who is that? Jurassic that's Park? My, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton. Yeah. Nineteen ninety. But way before that, right? Jules Verne. Do dragons count? No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Jules, Jules Verne, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, okay. Yep. Eighteen sixty-four. You got um, creatures, but also I think dinosaurs, like in in the Earth, like hollow Earth kind of subterranean right. sea. So that's like the first one that I saw in my kind of research. And then you got, there's a Russian novel called Plutonia, written by Vladimir Obrikov, 1915. That's another like hollow earth thing. Mm -hmm. uh, a year later, you got Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, The Land That Time Forgot, which is Antarctica. Antarctica based instead of hollow earth. So bringing it to the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, 1990 Jurassic Park. Uh, of course, do you remember what the sequel to Jurassic Park was called? Jurassic World? No, I have no idea. Jurassic that's Park the most, too. that's, I think that's the recent one. <laughs> Those are the recent ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the sequel, the 1995 book and probably 99 movie or something, I don't really know. Uh, it was called The Lost World. <laughs> okay. And yep. so that title was taken directly from the 1912 novel by Arthur Conan Doyle mm. of uh, Sherlock Holmes fame. So, but he wrote a dino book? Yeah, I had no idea. Mm. Okay. Similar plot to The Lost World, to the Jurassic Park sequel, in that they're both like an expedition to an undiscovered part of South America that has dinosaurs like that have just wait, been wait, living so, there. So Michael Crichton writes Jurassic Park, which is a like somewhat semi-original idea. And then for his sequel, he goes, nah, I'm just going to borrow from this older book. Sort of, sort of. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bizarre. Yeah. And then, uh, but okay, the, the difference... The difference here is that I guess because of the advancements in science and just like the imaginative aspect of like sci-fi and development of that from 1912 to 1990, mm -hmm. Crichton's like method of having dinosaurs around is like genetic engineering. And then, but like Doyle just has them surviving because they're like in a kind of crater or something. They're like mm -hmm. in a valley that was untouched by whatever 
plagues or meteors or you know whatever mm -hmm. uh, caused extinction. I didn't really pick up on it, but I think it was like a, a crater or something. Uh, my brain's a little fried. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to reading full books. <laughs> Some crater or something with dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what it was. Well, well here, here's the thing. I barely got to the part with the dinosaurs in it. <laughs> There's dinosaurs somewhere in this book, and I'm determined yeah. to find them. But the beginning, I want to talk about the beginning of the book because it was really funny to me. Okay. Uh, so in the same way that I trash the intro to the intro setup to the mm -hmm. turn of the screw by Henry James, I've, I've ranted about that before where it's like, want to hear a scary story? Cool. Let me go get it from my house. I'll tell you tomorrow. It's like 10 pages of like just him, <laughs> him getting this, retrieving the story so he can tell it. Uh, so the lost world, it opens with a young reporter called Edward Malone and his crush uh, named Gladys who I guess also works at the, uh, uh, the newspaper that they both work at a newspaper. Mm -hmm. So he, he basically, he's like, they're hanging out or they're, uh, at work or something. And they finally get some alone time or whatever. He like pro proclaims his love to her. And she basically just in the 1912 sensibility, she basically goes like awkward, like mm -hmm. <laughs> basically it's, it's basically that. Mm -hmm. And it's like the first it's a very early example of like friend zone kind of mm -hmm. thing, that sentiment or concept. Uh, and the, the quote, the direct quote from the book from his perspective is like, well, she could refuse me, but it's better to be a repulsed lover than an accepted brother. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so then, so then he tries to find out how to like make her like him. He starts asking her, he's like, Oh, well, what can I do? I'll, I'll like change my personality or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll, let me read that. that Sounds part healthy. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a total uh, fuck boy, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So yeah, let me read this part real quick. Uh, now, now tell me what's amiss with me. I'm in love with somebody else, said she. It was my turn to jump out of my chair. It's nobody in particular, she explained, laughing at the expression on my face. Only an ideal. I've never met the kind of man I mean. Tell me about him. What does he look like? Oh, he might look very much like you. How dear of you to say that. Well, what is it that he does that I don't do? Just say the word. Teetotal? Vegetarian? Aeronaut? Theosophist? Superman? I'll have a try at it, Gladys, if you only give me an idea what would please you. Mm. She, laughed, she laughed at the elasticity of my character. Well, in the first place, I don't think my ideal would speak like that, said she. He would be a harder, sterner man, not so ready to adapt himself to a silly girl's whim. But above all, he must be a man who could do, who could act, who could look death in the face and have no fear of him. A man of great deeds and strange experiences. Hmm. Sounds like this guy needs to go find some dinosaurs. Yeah, that's essentially <laughs> what motivates him in his journey to go <laughs> do something great. And it just happens to be an ex, like uh, he meets this, like this uh, eccentric professor guy who I guess was a recurring character in, in uh, Doyle's works called Professor Challenger. Mm -hmm. um, who's just this giant dude who's, yeah, like a, a crazy genius or whatever but so that that's what motivates him that's what sets him off on his journey he's just like trying to impress gladys and nice. so obviously i didn't finish the book but i skipped ahead to see how it turned out see if it was like book ended at all 
Mm-hmm. And so let me just read read from the Wikipedia. I really appreciated this by Doyle. It's just like pretty funny ending. After the adventure, Malone returns to his love, Gladys, hoping she will recognize his achievements. Instead, he finds she has now selfishly changed her mind and married a very ordinary man instead. <laughs> and, and, astonished at this turn of events and with nothing to keep him in London, he decides to accompany Roxton back to the Lost World. Wow, so he ends up just <laughs> moving in with the dinos? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So that uh, that's the book that I'd read about 15% of or something. <laughs> 15%? I will do better. I will do better. <laughs> Talk about a shitty book report. But I read like, I technically read like 20 books. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're kind of ahead of the game numbers wise. We're not page counters here. You can read short books. Yeah. Sometimes we're a bit of page counters, but that's, a, that's an argument for another day. Cool. What do you got? All right. Dive right into mine. So uh, episode 58. Actually, the author that I'm discussing today, it's going to be one of those things. It's like we haven't really talked about this author too much, uh, which is a little bit surprising but it's also mm. one of those things where I'll talk. I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna talk 50-50 about the author and about the particular book that I'm talking about. But I also happen to know already that you and I sort of discovered this author in the same way. Could you maybe give a few guesses to something from our past that would have had us discovering an author at the same time? Hmm, that's kind of an interesting question. Uh... That <laughs> discovering in the same way. Can you give me like the the first stepping stone? Um, there used to be this semi-large building that we were forced to attend when <laughs> we, when we were teenagers. <laughs> okay. Our high school made us read. Right. Something. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Lord of the Flies. I remember. Beowulf. Yes, yes. And who taught us that? Susla. Susla, yes. <laughs> so and the... he turned you on to uh, what? You're almost there. You're almost there. I thought he said uh, James Bond. James Bond. Uh, Ian Fleming. Mm, no, he was a huge Ian Fleming fan, but you were close enough. So basically what we would have like discovered at the same time and one of our uh, English professors from our high school years, Mr. Jeff Susla, his first name was Jeff, right? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it is Jeff Susla. Anyway, high school teachers don't have first names. Right. Okay. So Mr. Susla, he uh, was, I mean, I'm sure it's kind of, it's probably similar to the episode uh, where Niles and Fraser worship that uh, Shakespearean actor, and then they find out later that he was actually terrible. But in the same way, I feel like uh, Susilus sold us on Shakespeare and Macbeth. Definitely, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about Shakespeare and specifically Macbeth, but I'll probably only go into Macbeth like a little bit. I'm kind of also in a reading slump, like we talked about with the quarantine. It's like, yeah, I'm totally going to read every book under the sun during quarantine. And then it's like, no, I have other shit to do, like being alive. Um, so watch I have, <laughs> yeah, watching TV. So I am in the middle of a really good book right now that I'm excited about, but I decided to reach back into the catalog and talk about Shakespeare because we haven't talked about him that much. 
Um, so the way that I got into him, at least, was this English professor, Mr. Susla. And I, what I remember, too, and I don't know if you also remember this, but sus like we would do the classic thing where like this like you're in a ring of desks or whatever and everyone has their book open like reading along together but do you remember that susla didn't have to read from the text he he knew <laughs> he knew macbeth like he, he just knew. had it memorized yeah like, i sort of remember that because i mean that like one that just like sort of impressed me and two it was like sort of a it was like kind of the perfect combination to get me personally into Shakespeare because I say all the time, I know a lot of theater people and I know a lot of actors and, and people who love the theater. And I say all the time that I like to read Shakespeare more than I like to see it. And people really hate me when I say that. <laughs> but I feel like Susla was the perfect combination of the two where I was like, oh, like there was this guy like reciting Macbeth like in front of us so that there it was there but your book was also like open on your desk it's almost like I wish that you could do that like if someone staged like a professional thing of Shakespeare I would love to have the text like in front of me as it's yeah. happening is um, there okay is there anything that you could even remotely like rem memorize a chapter from or anything anything you got memorized like that because I don't think I do no maybe some <laughs> maybe some song lyrics or something probably oh yeah yeah music for sure but a book yeah. or like a you know a story that's tough no i don't have any verse memorized but yes yeah. I, I mean i also didn't I mean, it, to be fair to ourselves susla is like one of those teachers that probably taught macbeth for like 30 years oh yeah <laughs> so the same text over and over maybe i could get to that point um but yeah, I mean, so basically that's how I that's how I was introduced to Shakespeare. And you know, Shakespeare is one of those people, right? It's sort of like love-hate thing. Like anyone who talks about it, you know, is either like, oh, Shakespeare's so boring. I hate being tortured by that crap in school. Or there's like all the theater nerds who like, you know, have like, you know rose-colored glasses for Shakespeare and it's like oh he's so amazing yeah which I have to agree I mean he's pretty ridiculous I mean as far as like you know just like authors and situations and setting up dramatic scenarios it's sort of like it's one of he's one of those people where it's like you're dead in the water when you like compare him to anyone else you yeah. know he's sort of like a conversation stopper too in a way he's a conversation starter if you're talking about his own work, but then if you're talking like in the blot in a broad context of literature and you start talking about, you know, the heavyweights and everything, and then it's like, you know, Hemingway, Faulkner, and you know, all, all the international authors and you know, all these different people. And then it's like, well, what about Shakespeare? And it's like, well, he's in a class of his own, you know? Yeah. Is it like a Michael Jordan thing? Yeah, it is. It is like a Michael Jordan thing where it's like, yeah, we all know Shakespeare's great. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> but if you don't move on, I, I you know, I, like I said earlier, I've actually seen and I'll start talking about Macbeth a little bit. But so Macbeth is published in 1623. But curiously, if you read about it, like I had to for the podcast here, Shakespeare actually died in 1616. So aren't there how, a lot of people who think that it, Shakespeare wasn't 
real. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. like a there's like a whole conspiracy theory slash like there's like eight people legitimate scholarly study to try to find out if possibly it wasn't just one guy. Like nowadays we have like the whole hero worship concept of like maybe it, it like totally was all one guy. Um, but there are theories out there and I'll get into why those theories exist, but there are theories that maybe Shakespeare wasn't one solitary person, but just for the sake of argument, let's say that, that he is, I mean, most historical evidence is like there was, there is a real William Shakespeare who was like an actor in London and he was born in Stratford upon, upon Avon or whatever, which, <laughs> which of course, when you live in the UK, it's like, that's like a thing to visit. Also the Globe Theatre in London, which is a recreation. It's not actually what, like, it's not the actual building but it's a faithful recreation and there, you know, you can go to Stratford upon Avon and of course you can buy like a Shakespeare t-shirt, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. So like I was saying, like Macbeth is technically published in 1623, but he died in 1616. And the reason why there's like the discrepancy in those dates is that Shakespeare was kind of like this guy who was like, I'm writing these plays and he writes what he like most of what he writes, like what we know him for, like super epic Shakespeare is from 1589 to 1613. And he dies three years later. Um, but what happens is he was like this mega genius. Right. And then a few of his friends, like in the theater community, his good friends who he had performed with and also like put shows on and stuff like that. They were like, Hey, we really need to like publish Shakespeare. Like we kind of need to write down because like this guy passes away and in 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 his memory they do have you ever heard in like Shakespeare and publishing history they'll call it the first folio? Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of that term, but I wasn't yeah. sure what it meant. So like first folio is basically like him and his bros, I mean his bros got together after he died and they were like, let's write down Shakespeare because he's like ridiculous. And we've been doing these plays, you know, for a while. And those, you know, they literally, they publish like everything except like one or two things that historians find later. And the discrepancy there is a folio is what his friends wrote down versus what's called a quarto, which is basically a quarto makes sense because it was like a piece of paper that was folded up into four quarters. And that was like the playbook, you know, when you went to go see something in the theater back then so like you would have this little sort of like playbook that was folded up like a piece of paper so i'm not 100 percent sure if any of those quartos still exist maybe they do this is a shitty book report so i don't really have to know but if they do exist like they've basically like that's what those guys had back in 16 like in the early 1600s like in 1623 his friends and colleagues in the theater had all of these quartos lying around, which is like the little playbooks. And they're like, we're going to put these together and make sure that people know that Shakespeare was epic. And that's what's called the first folio. So I guess without like, you know, Instagram and like selfies of them, you know, you know, doing every single quarto, turning it into the folio. Maybe people think that's where the discrepancy is. Like it wasn't all Shakespeare. Like as they put it together, they kind of invented some other shit to connect the dots. Yeah. Um, maybe that, I don't know. I, I like, obviously people have been reading, like writing books about that. There's enough books out there to read just about if Shakespeare is like one person or not and his whole career. So if you want to get into that, 
get into it. But I like to think that Shakespeare was one person just because it's also inspiring. So yeah, Shakespeare, this one guy. <laughs> yeah, so to get into a little bit about actually what Macbeth kind of is about, um, it's sort of interesting. I was reading about in the history of how all of that went down, like the publishing and stuff. It's debatable on whether uh, Macbeth was actually longer than it is like the way that we think about it now because of all of Shakespeare's tragedies, like that classic period of like Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Othello. Macbeth is the shortest one, probably why it gets taught in high school to the uh, non-honor students such as Mark and myself. And um, yeah, I mean, the the what i always thought about macbeth is like we also learned hamlet we learned hamlet and macbeth and i always felt like macbeth was sort of like the action movie shakespeare if it could be called that would you agree with that mark where it's like a little uh, bit more exciting that's one of them yeah there's there's a few that were like a little bit more more exciting like titus yeah. titus andronicus is very brutal yeah. <laughs> that's another one but this yeah, one I mean, yeah macbeth like, has a lot of action a lot of yeah, it has Stuff like it's on. not like like Hamlet is very like all these like soliloquies and like this guy like kind of being frustrated over inaction and stuff. Whereas yeah. Mac Macbeth is about action. It's actually mostly about ambition and maybe how your ambition can be like take over and be too much. I mean, for anyone out there who doesn't really know the plot of Macbeth, sorry, spoilers, I guess, if you don't know the plot of Macbeth yet. But it, the basic story is like this guy was an epic warrior in Scotland. Uh, it, actually, sometimes they call it the Scottish play. And he was like this epic warrior who was super awesome. And he comes back from a war and the king bestows on him like, hey, you're like more like a Dane now. You're more in charge or whatever. And then eventually we meet Lady Macbeth, who is obvious like she's probably like one of the biggest archetypes that came that eventually come out of Macbeth. Because whenever there's a character like a woman who sort of like a, manipulates her partner or something like that to this day, you'll hear people say, oh, that's like a Lady Macbeth character. And she's this archetype of like, you know, being a little kind of the bird in his ear saying, you know, you're you're gaining in fame and power now, but you'd be even more powerful if you killed the king and no one knew about it. Uh, so obviously he takes her advice. He kills the king like and the rest of the play. He also kills his friend Banquo, who yep. is he like. Banquo gets into the mix of the night of when he kills the king. So then Macbeth has to sort of be like, if I don't kill him, then everyone's going to know. So that's how your kind of your over ambition snowballs into like, you know, it's sort of like an Icarus too close to the sun sort of story, right? Yeah. And for sure. He, and the rest of the play is like the psychological sort of like Banquo, like comes to like appears as a ghost at a date at a dinner and stuff like that. And then his arch rival Macduff kind of it all comes to a head and of course there's epic sword fights and all this stuff uh, that eventually kind of falls apart and I think Macbeth dies right does he does he kill does they kill each other I think so. yeah he dies yeah he dies so anyway uh you know super classic uh you know archetype type story but the the thing that I like the most about Shakespeare and what I'd like to say just as part of my book report is not so much about, you know, Macbeth, like pretty simple story. Like, again, I said, it's pretty action oriented. I have some cool personal stories about Macbeth. Like, first of all, I saw 
a famous production of it at the uh, New York City Armory. It's called like the Armory something something or whatever. But it's one of the biggest buildings in New York that does theater. And I saw the production where Kenneth Branagh was playing Macbeth again. Do you know who Kenneth Branagh is? Heard the name before. He's like the epic. Well, he's like he, the most epic. Done? He's well. He's like the epic Shakespeare guy, where he's done literally <laughs> like all of the, a bunch of like movies and so, like he's in a ton of stuff. Like he's in like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and like you know all this other crazy shit. But he's also just like the biggest like Shakespeare guy. You know, I went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and I was Academy for Best Actor in Henry V. <laughs> Sneeze. Bless you. <laughs> um, you know, and he made like there's like a bunch of that's movies. our first sneeze, by the way. I'm pretty first, sure, first, first sneeze ever, I, I, fifty I something episode. I won't edit it out. <laughs> uh, so he's got much ado about nothing. Othello, Hamlet in 1996. So like he basically is like the the you know Shakespeare for the modern man kind of poster child. So I saw him play play Macbeth, Kenneth Branagh, and it was a really cool production. That's another thing that people love to say about Shakespeare is like every production is different. Like I said, that's why the theater people get pissed at me when I say I'd rather read Shakespeare than see him perform because there was some cool shit. Like when they did that, when they did the staging at the armory, what you did is you like, I don't know if you remember in Macbeth, Mark, but there's all these different tribes. Like there's like these different like political factions within the play. And in the waiting area before the thing, they handed out all these books and you were like assigned, like your seats basically assigned you to like these different clans. And they gave you these like cool, like play like books and stuff like that. And then when you entered the theater, it was like this, it, it's like this massive room that they can do like a lot of stuff with, like in these productions, it's like one of the biggest <laughs> rooms in New York. So what they did was you like walk through this like creepy forest with like, and it's like a play that hundreds of people are seeing. So you can tell how big it is, but like you're in this like forest with like fog on the ground and like actual trees are like inside <laughs> and stuff. And you're like, whoa, this is like totally crazy. Dude, it's like medieval times. No, yeah, it, it was medieval <laughs> times, but it was like this crazy like production of Macbeth. Yeah. Really fun. Um, so I did, I saw that. Also, another thing that I can recommend about Macbeth, which I think is like a cool little kind of like side thing um, about it. Have you ever heard Macbeth call, been called the cursed play? Yeah, what is that in reference to? Is so it... the, the cursed play, and so, and sometimes the the reason why theater companies will call it the Scottish plague or the Scottish drama or this or the or the Scottish tragedy, is because supposedly in the theater world, if you're an actor, like anybody who's been to acting school or anybody who knows any, anything about the very first thing about acting is that when you stage a, uh, when you are in the middle of staging a production of Macbeth, you're actually not supposed to say the name of the play or it's extremely bad luck. Hmm. So you're not supposed to say Macbeth and you're like basically just like all throughout rehearsals, all throughout everything, you're not supposed to say Unless you're saying the name of the character in rehearsals, you're not supposed to re refer to the play as Macbeth or it's like a big no-no. It's like, it's like, you know, you're not supposed to do that at all. And one of the reasons I learned that not only just from knowing actors and stuff, but another thing that I can recommend for any Shakespeare fans out there or people who are thinking uh, like, you know, maybe I should read some Shakespeare and get into him a little bit. There's actually a fantastic TV show called Slings and Arrows, which is the first thing that Rachel McAdams ever starred in. Do you know Rachel McAdams? Yeah, yeah. 
So Rachel McAdams, when she was like a young actress, I think she might be like Canadian or something. Don't quote me on that. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But the first thing that she was ever in was in this TV show called Slings and Arrows. And it's about this really brilliant theater director who's, you know, the theater director's theater director who uh, stages. It's three different seasons and every season, like the first one is Hamlet. The second one is Macbeth. I think the third one or I don't know which one it is, but it's like this Shakespearean theater company and it's a comedy and a drama about and it's very limited. It's like one of those British TV shows or Canadian TV shows where there's only like six episodes a series. Um, and they just have like the fun, it's like really fun to learn about Shakespeare through this show. Uh, they have really great intro songs and I'm gonna play one right now. This is the intro nice. one. This is the intro one for Macbeth, the season about Macbeth. That's the beginning of the show. I don't know how well you can hear that. Maybe I'll I can hear it. I'll just tap my feet. Yeah, I'll cut in later. <laughs> but basically, you see how in that when he played that, he did he never said Macbeth. He called him Mackers, or he yep. says the Scottish tragedy. tragedy. And it's basically about like you don't say Macbeth, especially when you're putting on putting on the play. So that's like a cool little detail too. And all these like little traditions are really cool. One of the things that I love about Shakespeare is i don't really even care like the like the plays are cool you know oh yeah it's it's all like it's super serious how brilliant you know and philosophical hamlet is or it's super serious how macbeth is like it's like this perfectly constructed drama uh but one thing that i like about shakespeare and the reason why i always say i like to read him more than i like to see it performed is that I always love his little sentences that are just like kind of, he he always like throws away little brilliance, just like how we've like, as we analyze books in the show, we've realized that the classic amazing authors always like say something awesome, but they don't like put too much weight on it, you know? Yeah. They say like a little side thing and it's like, that was really cool. So I pulled some few things out of Macbeth as I was just like skimming it. Another awesome thing about Shakespeare, as we all know, is that he's completely 100% free. So if you want to download him on your Kindle or yeah. go, go online and read him, it's like you can just read the whole thing. No I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it right now. So yeah. I can read along. Yeah. So uh, like one of the like a quote early on in Macbeth that I really liked, you know, just jumps out at you is like one of the sergeants in the beginning is talking about how two sides were fighting each other and the battle wasn't going very well. And then the throwaway line is, as two spent swimmers that do cling together and choke their art, you know, blah, 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 talking more about Shakespeare and, 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 and about the events of the play. But I just love like little throwaway lines like that. Like he's, he gives you this imagery of like when two people are swimming that cling together that you can't swim, you know, you can't like keep going. Um, you know, the, another famous, like the super famous quote from Macbeth, false, false face must hide what the far, false hearth 
heart doth know. Obviously, I'm not a Shakespearean actor. Let's try that one more time. <laughs> false face must hide what the false heart doth know. So, you know, obviously saying that you have to put on a brave face or like a, or like change your face when your heart is in a different direction. You know, that's basically what Macbeth is doing the whole play because he killed the king and everyone's like, oh, Macbeth should be king because the king was assassinated. Um, another, another really cool thing that I learned about Shakespeare just from like researching him in general and... I don't know if you know this, Mark, but I'm pretty sure, again, shitty book report, don't quote me, but Shakespeare, I think, is accredited with the with inventing many different words. And he also is accredited with inventing the prefix un. So like uncool would be due to Shakespeare. Not that he ever said uncool, but he invented really? he invented the idea. So in Macbeth, it's a, like one of the famous lines is what's done cannot be undone. And Shakespeare invented that. Like he invented the idea of like putting un before something means like to negate it. And that's where the Michael Jordan thing comes in. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, that. Yeah, he invented the game. Um, another great throwaway line is stars hide your fires, let not light see my dark see my black and deep desires. So, you know, starlight don't reveal by night how i have black and deep desires really good quote there from macbeth but another good quote which will be my final little thing before i go into my one star review and it brings up a, a topic of discussion uh i'll read a short section it's only literally a paragraph i'm not going to sit here and read a bunch of shakespeare because as you guys can see i'm like that's why i like to read it too because i can sit there and struggle over it instead of trying to you know see it performed um but this short paragraph contains something that I know that you'll know the reference to. Uh, so this is also from Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player, that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Uh, so... <laughs> I get three things from that. Okay, so tell me the three things. The first part sounds like a rush lyric that is a that is a different shakespeare quote but yes, yeah life, life's, yeah life is but a stage yeah i think they've done something else like that too and then of course sound of the fury is faulkner mm -hmm. and what is signifying nothing I've, i i can't put my finger on that well but. some people some people truncate this quote into saying life is a tale told by an idiot full of uh signifying nothing or like they they like kind of like shorten this quote yeah. Um, but yeah, Sound of the Fury. And you we bring up a good point. Like in there, there's there Rush made a reference to Shakespeare in there. Um, Faulkner, The Sound and the Fury, that title comes from there. And I would say if you enjoy the title of a book, and I've said this more than once to just different people, title of a book, title of a movie, title of a song, double check if it comes from Shakespeare because it's more than likely that some of the most epic uh, you know titles and little snippets from things that have cool words come from Shakespeare. Sound of the Fury comes from Shakespeare. For Whom the Bell Tolls yep. comes from Shakespeare. Not only a Metallica song, but also a Hemingway. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, that's, no, 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 that's John Don. Oh, it's John Don. Yeah, that's, that's a common, uh, I think that's a common um, misconception there. Misconception. But anyway, For Whom the Bell Tolls, also a Metallica song. Yeah. Um, what about where, where the Sidewalk Doth End? Where the sidewalk doth end. I don't know yeah, that. That's, that's, the a, <laughs> oh. that's a Shel Silverstein. Yeah. 
version of Shakespeare. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the hell that is. Um, but no, seriously, some very epic titles often come out. Like if a title is really cool and weird and you're like, wow, that's a great title. Look if it's in Shakespeare because it, so many people get their titles and inspiration from Shakespeare. I mean, you can, I have the, one of those um, like really cheap, like Barnes and Noble, $20 full text of Shakespeare, you know, how it all just like yeah. comes like everything. You can just crack that thing open and name something. Cool. Really, you can. I mean, he's just like the master. So again, going back to that thing of he's in his own class, kind of incomparable. Um, feel like I've spent too long talking about Shakespeare, but if you're not into Shakespeare yet, give him a chance. Maybe you're the type of person who wants to see him first and then read him later. I'm the type of person who wants to read him first. I don't care if I never see another Shakespeare production again, even though it is pretty cool. Sometimes the stuff that people come up with that is based on the interpretation of the text, but I just like reading him. And it's also kind of chill because I don't really feel rushed to finish Shakespeare stuff. So sometimes I'll just like, you can just open the book and be like, I'm just going to read like a few sections of Othello and it's not a big deal. Like you're not like, oh no, I didn't finish that book. It's just like, it's Shakespeare. It's cool. Um, so it can be very relaxing. My one star review obviously probably comes from someone who was forced to read it in school. There's literally 13,000 one star reviews on <laughs> on uh, yeah. reads for Macbeth. Oh, yeah. from, from a lot of like middle schoolers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I don't really know how to say his username, but Moti Modi Modi Leoke. Modi Leoke says reading Shakespeare for me is an experience similar to trying to solve algebraic problem algebraic problems. I feel like I'm being waterboarded or dragged slowly into lukewarm water to drown. <laughs> 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 so obviously he hates Shakespeare so much he feels like he's being waterboarded in torture but something tells me that Moti Leoke has never been waterboarded or else he would read Shakespeare instead um, but yeah that's my shitty book report Shakespeare Macbeth you should definitely check him out and if you've never heard of him this is the first time you're hearing about Shakespeare uh, it's going to blow your mind <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I need, yeah, I need to revisit some of that stuff. I have one of those like big collections too. It's actually like, uh, it's probably the biggest book I have. It's like super, super thick and it's the complete illustrated Shakespeare. Wowza. It's got a lot of, uh, it's an older book too. Cool. Uh, I'll have to crack that open. You reminded me. So, so that's, that's awesome. I need to, I will, I'll, I'll get to some other Shakespeare at some point too, I think. Mm -hmm. that's uh you gotta do it you gotta yeah. but you reminded me i didn't do a one star review and i think i just found something cool um i'm looking up one star reviews for the giving tree right now and i think that would be a very fun uh search mm -hmm. it's just looking up one star reviews for children's books, children's books yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna be the adults hammering yeah exactly check this out here's here's some one star reviews for the giving tree uh user sava says Codependent tree needs to set some fucking boundaries. <laughs> Morgan says, horrific relationship between a selfish, unappreciative child and an enabling, self-sacrificing mother who has no purpose in life other than to give herself away. I keep expecting a missing page to show up where he pisses all over the tree stump at the end. I think this is offensive and despicable. <laughs> <laughs> a missing page where he pisses all over the tree. That'd be good. I'm sure well, someone out there has illustrated that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Calvin pissing on the giving tree. Definitely. 
there's a sticker out there on somebody's car. Yeah. So anyways, that might become a new segment, uh, children's <laughs> book, one star reviews. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> dude, uh, dude, Harold, Harold and purple Grant. One star trash. <laughs> Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're back into the groove of things. This has been Sugar yeah. Book Reports. You can find us every Sunday. Actually, not every Sunday. Probably once a week, most of the time, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, and Twitter at SBR the Podcast. You can also email us at sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Give us comments, suggestions, corrections, or whatever you're feeling. And I'll see you next time. See ya.